So, show of hands. How many of you like riddles? How many of you don't like riddles? How many of you don't really have any strong feeling one way or the other about riddles? Okay. So here's one for you. What is black and white and red all over? A newspaper. Well, I do sort of like riddles because um, they work because they confound our expectations, right? Black and white and red all over, impossible. Um, it's either black and white or it's red. Uh, that's how colors work in the world as we know it. Um, then when we hear the answer, oh, it's a newspaper, we recognize that it's a play on words and the double meaning of the word red. And then we get it, right? Um, it either produces amusement in us or it irritates us. Um, usually a mixture of both for me anyway. It's clever, maybe a bit too clever. Um, and I suppose I'm a little irritated at myself for not hearing it correctly. So everybody here knows the answer to the newspaper riddle. As soon as I asked the trick question, the answer popped into your minds. It's probably the first riddle that you ever heard. It's the first one that I remember ever hearing. It's common. It's part of our culture. It's something that we share, right, as English-speaking Americans. Um, I'm no expert, but I'm guessing that it probably doesn't work in Spanish or Cantonese. Um, and probably not in any other language, not this particular riddle. Um, it's interesting also that it doesn't work very well in its written form, right? Because it plays on that ambiguity in the sound of the word red. Is it a color? Is it the past tense of read? You get my idea. Um, so here's another one for you. What's black and white and red all over? Skunk on a highway. <laughs> right? Sunburn, a, a zebra with a sunburn. And uh, Laura Payne pointed out that it could also be a zebra in a blender. <laughs> but I love all of these different answers, right, to this same really familiar riddle that we all know. Um, because it, it sort of doubly surprises us, right? Oh, wait, I thought it was a newspaper. No, it's any of these, any of these other things. Um, we know the trick, and then the trick gets sort of turned on us. Um, so maybe it's not any of these exclusively, but maybe it's all of these answers. And I'm thankful to Tom Thatcher and his book, Jesus the Riddler, for the sunburnt zebra answer. And I'm thankful to Benny for the skunk on the highway <laughs> answer. I've always had this feeling that Jesus was a great riddler. Um, he definitely was a great storyteller, um, a master storyteller, and we know that he often uses stories to both puzzle and enlighten the people that are listening to him. And he, he does it very skillfully because he uses everyday language and the, his characters are ordinary people, or at least people that his listeners could relate to. 
uh, somehow, maybe a king or a master. They may not be either kings nor masters, but they know what to expect from a king or a master. Uh, slaves, uh, they might not have been a slave, but they understand the master-slave relationship. Um, sometimes they're, the people in his stories are parents, children, siblings, husbands, wives, widows, people living in community, sharing a culture, fully embedded in a very specific time and place. People living in Rome and occupied Palestine in Jesus' time definitely wouldn't know a newspaper from a sunburnt zebra, but I'm sure they had their own puns and jokes and riddles and, and word games. People who study these things, they're called folklorists, um, tell us that in all cultures across all times, people have played verbal games um, sometimes for entertainment and sometimes to teach um, important lessons. And 2,000 years later, after this story was first told, I'm pretty sure that, the, and the, by this story I mean the one that we heard in our gospel reading today, I'm pretty sure that the humor and the powerful lessons in Jesus' riddles and parables, they're hard for us, if not impossible for us to get in the same way that Jesus' listeners heard them. And yet, every week, we try, maybe I should say I try, to hear the message that is both hidden and revealed in these stories. Perhaps that's why Jesus says over and over again, whoever has ears to hear, let them listen. So if you'll grant me this much, that Jesus used riddles, not as entertainment as we use them today, but as teaching tools to get people to think about things differently, indeed at times to hear things differently, to taste things differently, he defied their expectations at almost every turn of phrase and I'd like to take it one step further. I'd like to propose that occasionally Jesus led them down the path of a story or a riddle until they thought they were decoding the message, answering cleverly, and then he threw them a curveball. And if Jesus' audiences were used to his riddling ways, maybe when they heard this story today, they immediately started to figure out the puzzle of this word game, this master who goes away and leaves fortunes to three of his slaves, two of them very shrewd, probably wise in the ways of the world. They invested the fortunes given to them. As a little of a side here, a talent was an amount of money in those days, and it was worth about anywhere between 15 and 20 times, uh, 20 years worth of labor. So a talent is a huge amount of treasure. The person that got one talent got 20 years worth of their wages. The person that got five talents got 100 years worth of their wages. 
just a little aside. So the first two slaves invested the talents that were given to them, doubled their money. The third slave, the cautious, the prudent one, dug a hole and buried his fortune so that it would be safe, I assume. The master returns after a long time, and the slaves return his money, two of them with interest, one without. The master is overjoyed at the ingenuity of the two slaves who invested his money, and he's outraged by the one who played it safe. He chews him out, condemns him to the outer darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. I can envision his listeners trying to parse this story out, and I can imagine some of you, and I don't need to imagine because I was watching your faces as Christy read the story, that you were trying to make some sense out of it too. Um, is it a riddle? And if so, it means something entirely different than what it sounds like. So what does the master represent? What are the huge fortunes supposed to be? Where did the master go? And why would he divvy up his fortunes the way he did? What's really going on here in this story? What can Jesus have in mind? Why would one slave get thrown into the outer darkness? What is the outer darkness anyway? And why the weeping and gnashing of teeth? So, because you've heard this story before, I'm guessing that you've probably heard this preached a time or two if you hang around church. I've preached it myself. And uh, you know that this riddle sort of has a, a standard answer to it. On one reading, the master is God who gives us all special gifts, fortunes, if you will, um, and some of us are more gifted than others, and we're supposed to use our gifts, right, to invest them in the world, not dig a hole and bury them to keep them safe. So far, so good. I'm with him so far. Uh, this teaching makes sense, I guess. It sounds in harmony with other teachings that we've heard Jesus deliver about a gracious God, a gift-giving God, and that we're supposed to use our gifts and not hoard them away and to live out in the open where we're vulnerable, not safe and sound in a hole, a God of love who wants us to know how deeply we are loved and to act accordingly, spreading the love around. This interpretation is perfectly fine. It's a useful, beautiful message. It's one that can form us can form us um, in the Jesus love story. And there may be a more subversive lesson hidden in plain sight in this strange parable riddle that we heard today because the story takes this strange turn, right? Suddenly the God we were expecting becomes, to my ear at least, unrecognizable. He becomes greedy, angry, and vengeful. He, 
and I'm going to use the masculine pronoun here today in this context, he even says something that I don't believe that Jesus attributes to God anywhere else that I know of. For to those who have, more will be given, and they will have abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. It takes some real mental and spiritual gymnastics for me to reconcile this description of God with the God of grace that we know and love. So I wonder if Jesus is intentionally leading us in one direction towards thinking, oh, so this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like, to the abrupt realization that, no, in fact, this is exactly what the kingdom of the world looks like, and it doesn't look very pretty. Jesus' lesson today may be more a social critique rather than a teaching about the kingdom of heaven. Maybe the rich man isn't standing in for God. Maybe he's just a rich man, opportunistic, and in the end, a vengeful man. He did, after all, amass his wealth, according to the third slave, by reaping where he did not sow and scattering where he did not scatter seed. It sounds to me like Jesus is talking about the kingdom of the world and pointing to just how unjust and stacked against the less fortunate the world is. On this reading, the real hero of the story is who? It's the third slave who refuses to participate in an exploitive economy, who, for his refusal to participate, is cast out along with all the other losers. I don't know for sure. Maybe Jesus had something else in mind when he told this story, but bear in mind that he told it just a couple of days before he was arrested and crucified by those people who were fully invested in and who profited from a system that was both materially and spiritually all about exchange and transaction and worldly power. He told this story a couple of days before he was chewed up by the machine and cast into the outer darkness of death on the cross by hard, vengeful men. Maybe this story is a prophecy, but not the kind of prophecy we expect when we first hear it. It could be a very clear-sighted critique of how the world worked in Jesus' time and still works to a large extent today and what the consequences are for those who refuse to play the game. And Jesus rarely played the game by the rules. He knew what fate awaited him, and he faced it head on. He went to Jerusalem knowing exactly what awaited him there. Of course, if I'm right, and Jesus was indeed the great Riddler, he saved the most unexpected punchline for the last. After the powers of the world had killed him, 
they must have felt confident that they had thrown him into the outer darkness for good. And then he came back. Power and vengeance did not rule the day. The way of the kingdom of the world can be harsh and unfair. Some of us get richer. Those of us who have get more. And those with little or nothing, even that is often taken away. Jesus' whole life, death, and resurrection, hard to understand, perhaps one of the greatest riddles of all time, has an unexpected and beautiful resolution. Somehow, as unlikely as it seems, love wins. I believe that. It's why we're here today. And for that, and for you all, I am very grateful. In advance, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Amen.